it's not just the financial target, it's the component parts that sit underneath it and build the foundations to deliver that. I think inspecting that and having a continuous improvement program, as I've mentioned, and how you go and drive that culture in your business and constant sense checking of that, that's what leads to a high performance culture. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I'm delighted to be joined today by Greg Hollis. Greg is the newly appointed Group CEO at Recruitment Entrepreneur, the leading private equity investor in startup and scale-up recruitment companies globally. Greg has 27 years recruitment industry experience working across multiple sectors and delivery models. He's launched and managed a number of businesses bringing his entrepreneurial spirit into a global PLC's senior leadership team. He's successfully led high-performance organizations. He now works with some of the industry's leading entrepreneurs, helping them to grow consistently and predictably in both new ventures and scaling businesses, with one goal in mind, which is turning equity into personal wealth. Greg, welcome. Thank you for being here. Mark, delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. My first ever podcast. Oh, wow. That's incredible that you've, you've never been on a podcast before. I've never been on a podcast. This is new territory for me, Mark. New wow. territory. Well, you are my first guest of 2023. So, uh, Two firsts. Excellent. And uh, so listen, congratulations on your recent promotion. When did you officially take over the reins from Abid Hamid? So officially, uh, takeover from Abid was uh, the 3rd of January. Um, okay. So um, we've obviously been working towards that for a period of time. Um, so from last September, it was a handover period. And uh, yeah, so fully in the chair now today, Mark. Fantastic. Congrats. That's, uh, that's awesome. It's a big responsibility. Uh, but you've been with the organization for quite a while. I, we, you were C COO before or? Yeah, so I started off as the managing director. Okay. Uh, I moved into the COO role probably three years ago. Um, perfect timing just before COVID. Right. And and newly appointed into the CEO role. So yeah, I've been with with recruitment entrepreneur now for for five and a half years. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to really diving into what you guys are doing at Recruitment Entrepreneur. Before we do that, I would love to hear because you spent 17 years with Manpower. And Correct. I think you joined their senior leadership team at the tender age of 24. Yep. Looking back, I mean, that's a long period of time to be with one recruitment company. Um, so I don't want to spend a huge amount of time on this because I want to talk about what you're currently doing. But looking back over that chapter of your career, what kind of really stands out for you in terms of experiences, successes, mistakes, learnings, that kind of thing? I'm, I'm intentionally oh. keeping this question quite broad, by the way, because I want to just hear what, you know, what you come up with. I mean, crikey, Mark, there's a, there's a, it's more than a chapter. There's a whole volume in there, <laughs> given the, the variety of points you've mentioned and, you know, clearly the time I was at Manpower. I mean, yeah. I mean, to put it into context, when I first joined Manpower, there was, you know, a printer the size of the desk that's in front of me in one room and one PC in the office. And, you know, uh, technology was very different. So, learnings and, uh, you know, adapting to different markets, going through, you know, the financial recession, different technology. I mean, LinkedIn wasn't a thing. There's a whole host of things that took place at that time. But, but you know, it was a very successful time. Thoroughly enjoyed my time at Manpower, learned a, a great deal, um, you know, really probably pertinent to, to some of our conversation that we wanted to chat about today. But 
how to move beyond a transactional relationship with a customer and move up a value chain where you become a, a partner, you know, that revenue becomes forecastable. Very important for us today as an exit-led business. So, you know, that's a, a significant learning that I did take out of manpower. You know, I was a young recruiter. I was results-driven. I was ruthless. I was driven to drive, you know, performance for myself and those around me. I think as your time goes on over a period, you know, of 17 years and you start to move into senior leadership teams, progress your career and move up, you know, in terms of management roles, you learn to take people with you, create vision, create accountability, you know, take people on the journey with you, create buy-in. And I think that again is a significant lesson that, you know, today resonates with what we do in terms of scaling businesses successfully through through people and clients, one of the, or two of the three C's that we focus on in our business today. So lots and lots of lessons learned there, uh, Mark, and, uh, you know, very enjoyable time. But a long time to be with one business, as you say. And, you know, whilst I did do a variety of roles in that organization, I think, you know, it was a, it was a long time and um, it was very different moving out of somewhere where you'd be man and boy to a degree. Yeah. As I led left. Wow. So great summary. And I wanted just to ask a couple of follow-ups if I may. One is sure. you said that early in your career, you characterize yourself as ruthless. What do you mean by that? So I, I was results driven, you know, yeah. the industry, I mean, bearing in mind when I started working in recruitment in 95, 96, and, you know, I used my first ever role uh, and the second role, my managing director or the owner of the business used to sit behind me. How many calls have you made? Call them back. You know, it was a very KPI driven environment. It was a numbers game and it was all about results. You know, the 90s was you know, clearly driven in that in that way in the industry. And I'm sure many people who are listening will that'll resonate if they've been in the industry, unfortunately, as long as I have. It was a very different environment. I think as businesses matured, you know, the approach to talent and engaging people and driving cultures and organizations beyond just results changed as we probably progressed through the millennium and beyond. You know, time moved on. But yeah, I, I did. You know, it was it was conditioned. It wasn't. I wasn't born that way. I was managed in that way. So you kind of replicate that. Not that I'm blaming my previous management team. I, I enjoyed the success as well that came from that. But we were results driven. Very results driven. Yeah. And then you described a sort of mat maturing process where you learned about really having vision, creating buy-in, taking people with you on the journey. So how, could you say a little more about that and how that kind of evolved for you? Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate to be surrounded by, you know, Manpower is a, a, a tremendous organization, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, engagement of people and how they look after people and their workforce, et cetera, you know, within the UK. And I think uh, probably around 2006, 2007, there was a you know a number of changes, maybe a little bit earlier within my days of Manpower in terms of structural changes. I mean, you've got to remember when I joined Manpower, I think there were 300 high street branches. You know, there was many on-site contracts. The management team would be, you know, probably four or 500 managers. I seem to remember when we had, you know, our early early management conferences, you know, that, that dramatically changed. As that started to unfold, you know, the the change in the organization brought in, you know, um, uh, people surveys and how people are feeling and how you're managing people, what their view is, the vision. And we started to create an organizational structure to drive manpower to to what it became, you know, some some fantastic results, you know, during my career that, that I was privy to part of and helped deliver. Um, and, you know, I think they're the lessons that I was being exposed to that environment and seeing the benefits of, you know, there's only, there's only a certain amount of results one person can deliver. 
if you have a togetherness around the results, you have buy-in from individuals to help you go on that journey to deliver those results, logically, mathematically, you will achieve, you will achieve more. And I think within the affecting areas, you know, like attrition uh, and driving and taking people on the journey with you, as I said earlier, as you've touched on, if you can create a high performance culture, high performance team, and in relationships with individuals that grow with you and grow teams underneath them, again, akin to what we do today, scaling businesses, yeah, that's a pretty powerful thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. the relationships that they have with customers, the relationship they have with candidates, we're in a people-led industry, they come with them on the journey and it all amounts to more success in the longer term. Well, look, this is very relevant to what we're going to talk about today. Um, you talked about creating a, you know, a performance culture. Um, could you just say a little more about what goes into that? So I think a, a high performance culture for me is, um, well, obviously it has to be driven. It is centered around people, you know, clear goals, clear expectations. But I think the main part for me in a high performance culture is a clear how, Mark. I think a lot of people are very, very good in our industry at setting goals, setting targets, making that very clear. People buy into it, but often can leave conversations or leave meetings discussing these things without a clarity around how they're going to achieve that, without Mm. clarity around how that's going to be reviewed, about clarity around, you know, how do we drive a continuous improvement program of how do we continue to grow in those areas? You know, targets move as well. Things change. Economic circumstances change. Clients move, especially in an unpredictable environment like the recruitment industry. Things can change. So I think, you know, a high-performance culture aligns for not just setting the objectives, it's how you're going to get there, people being clear about the roles and responsibilities they have, being clear about what their skill base is and how you can help develop their skills in areas where they don't have the skills to go and perform in the roles that they might have to go into in the future, they might be sat in today. And having incentive schemes aligned to that to create it to be a fun, motivational environment that people will be rewarded for their work, you know, in terms of, you know, perhaps financial outcome or, or other targets associated with that. But other areas like learning, as I said, you know, the equipping people with the skills and abilities to perform in roles as you as you grow a business. So I think a, a high performance culture talks to all of those things. It's not just the financial target; it's the component parts that sit underneath it and build mm-hmm. the foundations to deliver to deliver that. I think inspecting that and having a continuous improvement program, as I've mentioned, and how you go and drive that culture in your business and constant sense checking of that—that's what leads to a high performance culture, in my view. Yeah, no, I would, uh, I would definitely concur with that. I think it's a good, uh, it's a good explanation. In fact, we um, recently ran a session on performance management with um, our Apex Coaching Group, and I have a little model. It's hard to describe verbally because it's a visual model, but it's the performance management cycle. And so, twelve o'clock. And by the way, I, I would describe um, you know performance as being actual results compared to desired results. Um, so at 12 o'clock is the, the expectation, the goal, the objective. And then at three o'clock is the sort of the measurement of that. How are you going to measure your progress towards that objective? Um, then six o'clock is the you know continuous feedback. So there's the discussion between the individual and their leader on you know looking at those results and you know discussing how what's happening and and how we feel about that. And then step four is if there is a shortfall between the actual and the desired outcome, it's 
delivering whatever support, training, coaching, mentoring is required in order to get the person back on track. And that cycle just continues um, in a sort of never-ending continuous Im- improvement um, process. And I think, you know, the, the again, I think akin back to a lesson learned from Manpower, we went through a program really focusing on marginal gains. You take your steps yeah. three and four. I think, again, in our industry, we always look forward. You know, we plan the next step. I have a saying about, you know, clearly it is about the windscreen. If you look in the rear view mirror in your car, you're going to crash the car. It's not right. always about looking back and doing retrospective reviews about what you didn't do. Yes. It's about planning what you want to do and what the future looks like, but glancing in the rear view mirror to think, okay, how do I improve the journey in front? And I think continually developing efficiency, continually thinking around what are the KPIs, what are the statistics telling me about how I'm performing or how my team are performing? And looking for the marginal gains, the coaching, as you call it, the improvements, the, perhaps that coaching might be to your client. It might be to your consultant. It might be to one of your managers. It might be to a support function in your business. It might be coaching to think we need more technology in our business to drive efficiency, to improve the output that we're delivering. But I think without that review process, you know, again, that amounts to a high performance culture. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and, you know, expecting the, a different result. Right. Totally, 100%. So in a previous conversation, Greg, you and I had talked about um, scaling recruitment companies because that's what you guys do at Recruitment Entrepreneur. And you had shared with me your three C's of scaling a recruitment business. Would you please share those now with our audience? Sure. So, I mean, the three C's are, are the, the three, you know, real pillars of what we do, candidates, clients, consultants. They're the three things fundamentally that we focus on in Recruitment Entrepreneur as we look to work with the founding uh, CEOs on how they're going to scale their business moving forward. Again, if you take the candidates, where are the candidates coming from, how we're maintaining you know, the, the, the talent pool that we have, how we continually nurturing that talent pool. We know, you know talent is a, a core part of this, depending on whatever the market conditions are. We've just been through a, a real talent shortage in our industry for the, for the last 18 months. So how we focus on those, but the capacity that sits within there, going back to my point, just how can we continue to drive efficiency in the candidate pool to either provide market intelligence or provide increased revenue or drive more efficiency in the business. Clients, again, you know, what is the capacity within our clients moving beyond the transactional relationship, looking at the data, you know, what's the opportunities, what insights do we have in terms of the hiring intention of those organizations? We can scale a business in our clients, through our clients. Consultants, what's the capacity? Who are the new consultants coming on board? How are we developing the consultants that we have in a business? Um, and how are we developing their learning and ability to enable them to do more within the organization and equally investing in them as individuals that they can go on a journey with us that they feel investing beyond monetary you know, contribution to, to them through, the, through their efforts. So if you look at it, you know, fundamentally, there are other things, of course, you, know, you can put technology in, but the three Cs, candidates, clients, consultants, the three dominant areas that we focus on to work with our founders on how we scale their businesses. Right. Love it. It's a, it, it makes total sense. It's simple. So yeah. Of those three sort of pillars then or drivers of a, of a scalable recruitment business, um, the one I'd love to do a deeper dive on with you today is, is the client development piece. <clears throat> and the reason being, you know, there's always, you know, this seesaw between, you know, are we focused more on generating candidates or we focus more on generating clients. And of course, the best recruiters are constantly doing both, right? It's not, you know, one to the exclusion of other. But we have, as you alluded to in the last 18 months, many 
people in this business have just uh, predominantly concentrated, perhaps over concentrated on candidates because of the skill shortage and there's so many jobs that, you know, that was where their focus went. And I, I see that in many markets that seesaw is swinging the other way now so that, you know, if, if they haven't already, recruiters must really refocus, rebalance and focus again on, on client development. Um, so could you tell me a bit more about your philosophy and then some of the strategies around developing client relationships? So yeah, I mean, listen. You, you quite rightly point out, Mark. The reality is the the uh, the savvy recruiter will always focus on both sides. In fact, the person who wants to the savvy recruiter wants to grow a team will focus on all three C's because they're using all of those three C's to build a business. Again, back to them being core to us. But focusing on clients, I think often, as I've found over the years, you know, you can be quite transactional with a customer, and of course, it's very easy as a recruiter to take the vacancy, think about the candidate, deploy the candidate into the role and have you got any other roles and move on. I think the ability to take a step back when you consider your customer base and think around who are they as an organization, what's their plans, not just now, but in the next 12, 18 months, two years, three years, when you're scaling a business in particular, you want to build a team or build a business for, your, for yourself, it's taking a broader view of that particular customer and how you may fit into that in the future. It often is the case there are points around onboarding talent into their organization that they may need help with, they may need support with. And I think for the more seasoned recruiter, we've been around a long time. We've worked with organizations developing their EVP, improving their process of onboarding talent, giving them feedback from the marketplace beyond the salary survey in terms of the feedback of their brand and how we improve their value proposition in the marketplace. How do we understand their processes, their challenges, their pain? If it's a talent acquisition team internally, what are the challenges they experience in their role and how can we improve their lives? You know, what are the KPIs that they have? We all have them. They will have them on the other side of the fence. So I think ultimately it is taking a broader view of the customer at a high level, starting to think around what their objectives are, the more strategic point in terms of expansion plans, down to an, org an organizational operational perspective on onboarding talent. How does it work? How could it be improved? And therefore, by taking a step back, thinking about what could we do differently to partner with those? There are various solutions we have. We've seen the rise of you know project RPO uh, assignments coming out in our industry more readily. We've got lots of that going on within, within our portfolio here at RE. Um, but it is around starting to think, how can we deliver a service to a customer that's relevant to them? And that, that varies. I mean, Whilst the mechanics of onboarding talent and identifying talent for a client remain fairly fluid, one of the more strategic relationships I have I've had with customers over the years have been these areas have been a lot more specific. You know, how do we onboard them? What message are we taking to the marketplace? Where are we advertising? How is it? You know, doing branded advertising, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Of course, you know, lot, lots of lots of points in there, but fundamentally, it is about understanding the customer, understanding their position, understanding their challenges. Sometimes your challenges and how the, the, how you've experienced finding talent for them, the feedback in the marketplace to work together with your customer on a solution, how you improve the process, which often can benefit your business as well as the clients, um, to achieve an objective of giving them the right people in the right roles that stay with their organization, perhaps improve metrics that they have on, on their side, you know, in their organization. So I think, you know, for us, it is about taking that, the philosophy is think about the organization. 
are we leaving the restaurant hungry when there's food on the table? I'm well known for my sayings, Mark. But, you know, <laughs> often is the case, if you look at it, and I'm sure anybody who's listening who took a real step back and thought about their clients last time they went and had a conversation with them, could they do something different? Do they truly understand their organisation? Is the relationship strong is the first point. Moving down to can we alter the way we provide a service to this customer? Could we be closer to an RPO model and a more strategic relationship? Our philosophy is to drive both. Why? We're an exit business. For us, creating value in an organization, one of the parts is to have full castable revenue, sticky relationships with our clients, predictable performance within our client base. Also, good referrals, good recommendations, good case study. These all amount to creating value in your business. If you're not looking to exit your business, they create value in the fact that you can forecast more accurately with the revenue moving forward and make better decisions in your organization. If you're a recruitment business owner, you might be feeling the pressure to invest in new technology. But how do you invest in technology that is proven to win higher paying clients? Otherwise, overall, you're just making a financial loss. Our trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. They provide recruiters with an online delivery platform for the candidate shortlist. So instead of sending over CVs or resumes, you can send your clients an online profile that includes video, key competency questionnaires, and behavioral assessments. It looks more professional than a CV or a PDF, plus it helps the client make a more informed decision about who to call to interview. But that's not all. iIntro also provides recruitment business owners with coaching for their team, not just to help them use the software, but to help them use it to win more retained business. Their comprehensive training program is specifically designed to help recruiters at all levels of experience develop a retained recruitment service. In fact, many of the hundreds of recruitment businesses they've worked with win a brand new retained client after only a few weeks of getting started. To see iIntro in action, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to book a free demonstration. There's no obligation, plus you'll also be helping to support this podcast. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. We'll circle back to talking about the solutions and forecastable revenue because uh, I'm interested in that. Um, <clears throat> but I just want to dig even deeper on the way that you guys are engaging with customers then. So what does that look like on a practical basis, either at the CEO level, you know, within the recruitment, recruitment firm or at the consultant level? What are the specific action steps that they're taking in order to uh, understand their client organizations better, have those conversations, and um, create more strategic relationships. I think it loops back to probably some of the points we talked about earlier: targets, KPIs. You know, what is the meaning of those? And I think if you organise your approach with your customers in the right way through monitoring the performance within that client, understanding who they are, how many placements you've made with that organization. And as a business leader, if you're a manager or even a consultant, I guess, running a, a desk with a variety of clients, just starting to think about the the delivery mechanism you have with that client. Who are they? You know, What are the numbers of candidates that you're putting forward to that customer? Then start to think about basic things. Some will do it, some won't do it, Mark, but have we looked at their website recently? Have we seen what roles they have? Have we looked at their LinkedIn? Have we looked at what roles they have outside their organization? What are the sites, locations that they have? How do they rate our service? What would they say if we called them and asked for feedback in terms of the service that we provided? What are our candidates saying? All the information we have in front of us every day, I think it's very important to kind of 
create a, a proven program of how you go about that and have an operational plan that allows you to constantly create the behavior that you look in these areas because there will be opportunities for the customers that will rise to the top and you think, crikey, there's a real opportunity here. Beyond that, some of the parts that we have driven in our organization is to create access to technology like LinkedIn Insights that allow us to really look at that business, look at where they're hiring talent from, look at where they're losing talent to, you know, what their attrition levels are running like, you know, and, and start to understand their marketplace, their talent pool, where their talent pool exists, to have a more strategic conversation of how you can help fulfill their talent challenges. But I go back to it, it it's, we've really created the program of having a fresh eyes of view with your customers, talking to them, understanding them, as I said earlier, understand their objectives. How can we help them? We've proven we can do, we can provide, you know, a level of service locally in one particular location or maybe on a, on a broader level. How do we move up the value chain for them? What are the objectives they have with talent and how do we move down the, the road to them? It is about creating a partnership. We use that as a buzzword in our industry, but it is about creating a mechanism, you know, and a, a, a schedule of communication, I guess, that allows us to interact with them and understand them more so beyond a job description, sending a CV and, you know, filling a vacancy. Those things, are that's what I mean about transactional behaviours. Not all customers will want you to be beyond the transaction. Not all customers need you to be beyond the transaction. But this is about identifying the, the handful of clients that you can move beyond and the benefit to a business is, can be quite significant. And again, we've got lots of examples of that you know, within our, within our group today. So how are we challenging it? We work with our CEOs to provide them with data, provide them with an approach, give them case study, show them exactly where we've done this before. We have bid support in our, in our offering as well to our, our portfolio partners of how we go and identify the opportunities in an organization present back what we could do differently and foster a slightly different working relationship, which we've done a number of occasions. All right. Interesting. You mentioned a couple of times, create a program. What do you mean by that? I think for me, I mean, listen, you know, creating a program, it is about having a, a considered approach. This is my point over moving beyond transaction. You know, this is about taking... Uh, uh, creating a, a high-performance culture, creating exactly what I said earlier, our destination is to increase the wallet share we have within a, within a client, increase mm -hmm. the spend they spend with our organization, be able to not have that opportunity at risk because if we're not doing that, our competitor may well be talking to them about how do we increase what we do for you or you know, how do we you know, identify a way of working differently with you in the future from a solutions perspective. So I think it is about creating a program that you create awareness. You create awareness of the potential risks of you not doing it, the benefits of you doing it, and then an education process of how you go about it. You know, not all good recruiters have got the confidence nor have got the experience to go in and discuss other things. They might not see a relevance in discussing their attrition and how do they onboard because what do you do with that? Mm. And I think a program of education of how you take the information back out of those conversations and think more so about how you're going to deliver to that customer in the future mm -hmm. can amount to an improved revenue. Absolutely. So when you say create a program, you mean almost internally in order to get everybody focused, like the consultants, the whole team uh, focused on you know, uh, identifying and creating these opportunities. Um, so... That all makes good sense. And then you you talked about doing what research we can on 
the clients that we're working with, both based on our past relationship with them, looking at our our performance metrics, you know, at uh, what we've been able to achieve with them, looking at you know LinkedIn insights. But then, <clears throat> presumably, the next step is to go and actually talk to the customer and find out their challenges, their pain points, their vision, what their strategy is, what their plans for growth are, how happy they are with the way things are going, and then being able to mutually provide feedback in order to see how can we work more closely together to save you time and money um, in a way that benefits both of us. So, you know, do you have a kind of recipe for that uh, meeting? I mean, listen, it isn't necessarily about saving money, by the way, or time. Mm. It could be adding value. It yes. could be finding, you know, addressing a talent shortage they have, you know, working with them to plan for the future in terms of a, a new location or opening. Of course, mm. these things all vary. It mightn't be just fixing a problem that exists. It might be helping them address an opportunity for them that could be a problem in the future. But again, this comes mm. back down to the understanding and your question of what is the recipe. The recipe is to have a solid relationship with your client and understand them. I mean, mm -hmm. it is. this is my point, right, about moving beyond the transaction, understanding your customer, having a relationship. You can have all the data in the world, Mark, as I'm sure you'd appreciate. You can have all the tools in the world and we can have all the insights in terms of, you know, how that organization is performing or not. Um, that might be uh, met with a bit of a closed door unless you have a solid relationship for sure. Um, for a start, um, or more importantly, the right way of approaching it. You know, my my, my personal analogy of this mm -hmm. is when you go to the doctors, he doesn't give you a prescription. Yes. The doctor diagnoses the right, problem, right, understands right. the pain points, what's yeah. the symptoms, then prescribes, you know, the, the medication. I think that is a very fitting right. analogy for this situation. It's not telling people. Recruiters can be very good at telling people things sometimes. Prescription without diagnosis is malpractice, right? Yep, for sure. Um, well, that brings us to the a, a related topic, which is I find that what what is required in order to achieve what you're talking about is really good solution selling skills, and I find a lot of recruiters are don't have well developed solution selling skills. You know, they uh, I used to run a role play when in the back in the day when I did in-house training for growing recruitment businesses, I would do a role play where <clears throat> one party was the customer, one was the consultant, and the client was given a brief where they were informed of all the different opportunities that existed within the organization, the problems, the hiring needs, the you know things that they were going on in, in the business. But with strict instructions, they were only to reveal as much as, you know, was relevant based on the questions they're being asked by the consultant. And then they would get, the consultant would get scored based on how much of the opportunity that was available did they actually capture. And people like would get, they would get fixated. They would find a vacancy and they would get fixated on just that one, as you call it, transaction. And they would completely miss 80% of the other opportunities um, in terms of finding out other names of decision makers, other locations, uh, big projects that were coming up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what are you guys doing at Recruitment Entrepreneur to try and foster those sorts of skills? So I, I, I think, again, it goes back to 
the point I said earlier in terms of being able to, uh, it's about highlighting the potential opportunity first and foremost in terms of the 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 client. I think for us, it's about coaching and supporting and personally being involved in some of those conversations. Even today, I still, I enjoy a good conversation with the client about their, their needs and opportunities because why not just for the win of the sale? It is the the ability to move beyond the transaction, the satisfaction out of delivering something that really adds value to an organization is a really cool thing. And I think the ability to do that, it comes from experience. You know, it takes a it takes a long time to perfect the art of being able to construct a conversation, ask questions with and not sell to a customer. Because the instant thought process, back driven to the high performance culture earlier, if one of your objectives is to drive client value drive client relationships. You've got to think about that when you're setting targets to your team. The reason why I say that is because you don't want to become heavily focused on just making placements. If you just target your business to make placements, they'll make placements and they will probably do very well out of it. But could you be leaving the restaurant hungry when there's food on the table? And the ability to take a step back and put a program in place to support our CEOs and enable them to stop and think around what is the missed opportunity here? What's the opportunity gain of me doing something differently? And then they go, you know, the program that we've driven, Mark, and answered your question is we've gone away, reviewed certain clients, brought the information back, reevaluated it, thought about the questions you want to ask next, taking that back to the customer and started to build a relationship backwards and forth until we developed you know, solutions architecture. We developed a solution that we think this fits with that particular organization. We've documented, we've put it in a, a, a proposal to the organization. We've delivered that, we've won the business. We then use that as a case study to continually educate people in our portfolio. We have CEO forums, as you well know, you've attended one yourself. I think we talked about some of these examples that we delivered during that CEO forum uh, that you attended back in, 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 uh, in 2022, where we shared the case study, how we got there and what the output and the result was for that particular particular client. It is about creating belief. It is about coaching and supporting a different way of working. That's what we do. And we create focus on it within our portfolio. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, you spoke, you mentioned project RPO and you're talk, you, you've talked a number of times about forecastable revenue. Could you share some more concrete examples of what that could look like in terms of like uh, the deal architecture or the type of arrangement you might have with a client? So, yeah, I mean, listen, it, it, it's project RPO. I mean, we can overly budge some of these things in our industry, I think, sometimes, Mark. I go back to my point, understand what your customer wants and then prescribe a solution that fits with them. What is project RPO? Project RPO is probably a less complicated delivery model. You don't have to go through a full tender process and totally outsource and integrate IT and tech systems, et cetera, all the time. You basically you know, are contracted in to deliver a project of talent for a particular area or across a, a range of skills at that point in time for the client. Why? Because the talent acquisition team doesn't have the capability, it's increased demand, or they haven't got the talent acquisition team in place to be able to, to, to deliver that. Or they need a more strategic approach towards it. And we've got a number of examples where we've done that. Now, that could be um, a particular skill set of said for where we've, we've got out and created and identified a talent pool for that particular organization, taken their branding, their messaging, targeted that talent pool, identified them, taken through the process, deployed them, and we've moved on and we've used our existing infrastructure. The other part of Project RPO is where we've embedded talent into that organization. We've taken dedicated recruiters 
We've realized that they have not got the budget allowing them because we've asked the question, allowing them to spend it on external recruitment agencies, but they have got a budget to put people into their organization who are embedded part of their brand, be it on their induction, use their IT systems and put the people directly into their, into their ecosystem. And we put people in to be able to go and do that. And we, you know, obviously the, the, the cost models reflected that. So it's a just different transaction beyond, um, beyond just placing a, mm. a, an individual person in there. Clearly that becomes forecastable. Typically those arrangements might be, you know, the minimum that I'm from my experience selling over the last 12 or 18 months has been a six month arrangement, either through a dedicated embedded resource or through a committed model where there's a certain amount of people defined as the minimum requirement for that assignment. And then we would charge either a reoccurring fee or, you know, a, a monthly, a monthly uh, retained uh, amount of uh, amount of placements. So you described two kind of different uh, scenarios there. The first being where you're using your own infrastructure, you know, technology resources. Yep. Uh, there isn't an embedded recruiter on site, um, but you're doing a uh, a hiring project for them. How how does that differ though from just a a retained assignment where you might have multiple um, hires within the, you know within that? I mean, listen, as I said to you before, Mark. Sometimes we can be guilty of badging things. All right, right? I just sometimes want to make sure things, that you know, really, really, I understand exactly what you're talking about, and if it's something di- you know. So that's why that I'm trying to be nitpicky about the terminology. Like, no, but 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 let me let me give you an example. I okay. mean, it's a, it's an interesting point. So, for example, um, on the 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 situation where we had people in our in our business. So, at points we've had to be signed. We've signed, you know, uh, uh, declarations where we won't share data. There's obviously data privacy, you know, uh, linked to this. But the applicants have applied to that particular organisation are routed through to somebody who sat. You are remotely away from that organization in our uh, in our employment, mm-hmm. but have delivered the people back to that organization. So they've had an email address linked and a laptop configured to mm. that particular host employer. So Got it's it. slightly different than retained. You're behaving almost as an employee of that business, and they might have sat through you know various learnings to be able to 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 do that. So um, the identity is different. You are you know quite often behaving more so of their brand than you are as an extension. If you're doing retained, of course you're working exclusively, but you are working for the customers. That's true. as well. You know, so we, this is dedicated. I see. So it's a dedicated resource. Yes. Okay. But then isn't that, isn't that the same thing as a, just a remote embedded uh, service? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for okay. sure. It's, you know, it is, you know, the, as I say, you know, the, the branding, but project RPO, it is a project. Yes. You know, it's not a three-year renewable relationship with a break of two I years, see, an extension of the see, year or 12 months. That, that is RPO. Project RPO is a project. Got it right. might be that I'm sat in your premises, <laughs> in my premises. It might be I'm embedded. It might be that you're just dedicated for a period of time. It's a project. Okay. So it's just a shorter time frame for a specific yeah like version much much easier to identify yes much easier to deploy still forecastable yes and we're eating all that food off the table don't forget not Love leaving it. any behind and how would you what would be the pricing model for something like that is it a fixed retainer or are there placement fees on top again through experience mark to be fair it depends on the client hmm. you know often again not wanting to prescribe the solution. Typically, it is a monthly reoccurring fee, by the way. Let me just, mm-hmm. just put that out there. But we have had examples of the other scenario you've mentioned where there's a reoccurring fee 
and a slightly reduced fee on top per transaction because mm. the client has wanted to incentivize the person to be able to deliver against that. So there's a fee in there. There's a commission-based element to it. That's a, mm. been a request from a customer not so long ago uh, through through one of our partner businesses. Mm. So it depends on the budget requirements of the client. It's clearly much easier to do that in terms of a monthly reoccurring fee but sometimes it's a blend of both. What it isn't is just a transactional fee that you you commit to make 20 placements in a period of time. We haven't yeah. had that. Got it. You always want to protect the running costs of that project. Yes. And so the cost of the project, I guess there's a calculation based on how many hires does the customer need and how many consultants will we need to dedicate in order to achieve that, then multiply, you know, based on the number of consultants required uh, that would determine the fee or? No, it, it's a cost model. Again, mm-hmm. you know, it, you, what resources do you need? That's the question. Okay. It's a broader question. You know, where <clears> are <throat> the talent pool? How do we identify those? What resources do we need to put against that? Mm-hmm. What is the marketing investment to target the brand in there? Is there a technology that needs to be deployed in into this delivery model? Again, mm-hmm. that's going to feature as a, as, as a cost in there. Often the candidate wants the client wants feedback in terms of the brand perception in the marketplace. There's a bit of a wash up afterwards for future experiences in there as well. So it depends on the makeup of the delivery model, Mark. Okay. I guess, but it isn't just simply a recruiter. There could be multiple recruiters, as you suggested a minute ago. It might be there are other resources in a marketing team or other areas mm-hmm. to help on board those individuals into that that organisation as well. We have a number of our, our businesses that do post-deployment training as well, and that might feature in, in certain roles. So, yeah. What do you mean by post-deployment training, Greg? So once people are placed in a client, yeah, um, we provide uh, ongoing training. And let's ah. say, take sales as a live example. Right. One of our businesses who you know particularly well will provide ongoing training once the, the candidate is deployed to help ensure productivity, buy-in, attrition. Again, if one of the challenges up front is identified, our attrition's quite high. People don't hit the ground running so quickly as they should. You know, our return on investment isn't as good as it is. Could we help trade? That could be part of the Project RPO. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Recruitment Entrepreneur. If you've dreamed of starting your own business or if you've already got a successful firm and you want to grow more rapidly, then pay close attention. Recruitment Entrepreneur are the number one investors in recruitment startups and scale-ups globally. They provide everything you need to grow your business, including the funding and financial expertise, operational strategy and back office support, and marketing and talent attraction solutions. Led by James Kahn, they've already invested in 45 businesses and you could be their next joint venture partner. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. That's VC is in venture capital. Book a call with one of their investment directors and be sure to tell them you were referred by Mark Whitby and the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. The person who I'm thinking of is Elaine Tyler, right? That might be the person. Yeah, because she's been on the show before. And she has. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant how it's so much value added. So let's talk about that then because it's something you alluded to earlier is the customer doesn't always want cost savings. Maybe there's 
you know, it's the same price or even a premium pricing model that's more than what they're accustomed to paying uh, a recruitment agency, but they're willing to do that because of the value they're delivering. Um, what other things have you guys seen in terms of adding more value to client relationships? So the post the post deployment training is one that we've just talked about. What what else? I mean, would you Margaret, Again, it, you know, it, it depends. If, if you take the process, I mean, are we talking about, you know, retain search projects? Are we mm -hmm. talking about contingent recruitment? Are we talking about contractors? Yeah. If you take, you know, what you can almost apply a project to the various areas I've, I've just touched upon. And the, the added value, if you broaden the conversation, could be the way time is captured from contractors. It could be the way, you know, the invoices are generated for that particular organization. It could be managing that contractor workforce or the output of that contractor workforce once they're you know embedded in that organization so i think again it it, it goes back to the, the the starting point taking a step back and moving beyond we can just provide you with a cv arrange an interview and deploy talent into your organization or we can say let's start at the beginning how effective is your brand in the marketplace mm. is it attracting the right people are they the right candidates that are coming through the process. Is the process fit for purpose? What is the impact of the process on your organization? We've had people that we've saved and I'd provide other value in terms of their, their time spent on the selection of those mm -hmm. candidates or the attrition in that particular area. It yes. could be the, the administration burden of that. It could be the ongoing training of those individuals. But you know, effectively, you know, what is what is the the area that we can add value from making sure the advert goes out to the right audience, attracting the very best people to those people being productive in their role in that host employer. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that could be provided in terms of the various pain points that sit within there. And we've been very creative both in RE and my previous times in RE, uh, uh, sorry, in, in back in Manpower the day of doing things differently to add value and lock a client in. I think you've you used the right word there, creativity. It's really... You know, what you're describing is truly taking the time to understand what the client is trying to achieve, what challenges and problems they're grappling with, and then coming up with creative solutions that are going to facilitate that. Um, yeah. So I think that's brilliant. I uh, mean, listen, Mark, it is. We are recruiters. We're here to place people in jobs, and we're not here to manage and deploy technology, for example, right? But if those things are relatively easy to do, and you can create partnerships with organizations, which we have done many times, that enable you to deploy that model, is it a more sticky relationship? Is that added value, the question you asked me a few minutes ago to that mm -hmm. particular client, will that revenue be forecast? Well, is that a client that's going to work with you for a longer period of time beyond those transactions? And will that keep your competitors out mm -hmm. if they are just offering candidates? The answer to all those things is yes. That is moving beyond the transactional relationship into more of a solutions mindset. Love it. Is there anything else under the banner of developing client relationships beyond the transaction that we've not discussed yet? No, I don't. I don't think so, uh, Mark. I think you know the one thing I will say is you know it's it is a continuous improvement program. Our mm. customers are always changing. The world of work is always changing. Economically, skills required, businesses change, and I think continually. Review, reviewing and evaluating where your customer is going, the service that you're providing, and what you could do differently, 
you don't have to commit to anything, remember. This is about having a conversation. You don't have to go and do a project RPO, but you might do something different as a result of that conversation. But back to the point you highlighted a few minutes ago, asking the questions, thinking creatively, will at least give you the option to do something differently and might provide you with a sticky relationship with your client. Fantastic. That makes sense. Um, Greg, switching gears here slightly then, <clears throat> we're in a very strange uh, climate at the moment, right? On the one hand, you've got you know, massive inflation. We're in a recessionary economy. At the same time, there's low unemployment and still you know, massive skill shortages in many sectors. Um, what's the message that you're giving to your portfolio partners about the outlook and how to navigate through these uncertain waters? I mean, it's been an interesting few years, Mark, hasn't it? When you take yeah. a step back and we're about to enter, you know, uh, another interesting uh, chapter to coin your phrase from, 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 from early. I mean, the message for us at the moment is, you know, playing with our head up, we're, we're, we're being attentive to what's going on. We're analyzing the news. We're analyzing the statistics that are coming out. We're monitoring client feedback, candidate feedback. And we're thinking, you know, with agility on how we adapt to that. Let me give you an example. If you go back 18 months, it was about, you know, finding talent for organizations. And it was, you know, quite a quick process. People were changing jobs more quickly, and that's happening on a, on a regular basis. If you sit where we are today, candidates are a lot more choosy. They're cautious. And I think being very attentive to the data, that you ex the information you extract from a, a candidate, the information you extract from a a client, how they marry up and testing those to make sure that we're not wasting time because the candidate's window shopping and the client is committed to not change their mind in the future. I think there are some of the things that we're starting to really focus upon because there is caution. People are changing their mind. There is a slowdown. There's no doubt on that. We've seen that. And let's face it, a relative slowdown because it's been an unprecedented, unprecedented demand that we've seen over the last couple of years, certainly that I've seen in my 27 years in this in this industry. So it is about being aware. You know, we haven't got the crystal ball. We don't know what's coming around the corner. We're attentive to what's happened. I think we can only address the things that we are aware of, which is starting to think more carefully where we spend our time and how certain that candidate is about moving employment, the motivations of that candidate, why they want to move employment, and also the pain point of the client that you're trying to solve by putting that person in to make sure Ultimately, a decision will be made. That's some of the advice that that we are giving there um, in terms of how we navigate that. But ultimately, the whole spirit of this conversation, get close to your customers. Totally. I mean, I think everything that we've discussed today is more relevant than ever in order to really create those you guys call them sticky client relationships, which I like. Um, you know, we want to be the ones that that stick with the client you know, through thick and thin, whereas other suppliers kind of come and go, we're the consistent partner that they, they exactly. choose over, over time. Um, so fantastic. And look, the other part of that equation, then the, the consultants, um, that's is an interesting one as well. So <clears throat> you guys are an exit, you know, focused business. You're partnering with companies who want to scale and, and exit, um, 
or with partnering with founders, I should say, <clears throat> to create companies that connects it. Um, you know, in view of the current climate, is it is it still very much? Um, uh, everybody should be in a hiring mode. You know, is is it aggressively? Uh, attracting and onboarding new consultants or, you know, how are you guys approaching that? I mean, Mark, the, the market contracts and softens. It hasn't stopped. Yeah. You know, it is, there is still, you know, a significant amount of opportunity in the marketplace, but employment is still relatively low. As you've said earlier, you know, in the conversation, the reality is there is still, you know, significant opportunity out there. Will we continue to scale? Will we continue to invest in new businesses? Will we partner with existing businesses to scale those? Absolutely. You know, we will do that as we rule, you know, we move throughout uh, the next, you know, the next period of time. You know, we're meeting businesses next week to do exactly those things. We're, we're hiring people today. It is about focusing on the three C's, as we've said. You know, the consultants come after the candidates and clients. Are the are the clients still there? You know, we make considered decisions. We're recruiting against capacity of work in that person be deployed that's going to get a return. Let's face it: if we're going to hire somebody, they're coming here to be successful. They're coming here to enjoy all the good things that come with success. It could be money, it could be the feeling of success, it could be the career progression. Unless the opportunity is there, we're not going to hire them. So it's making real decisions and not hiring for hiring's sake. But absolutely, we will continue to hire and scale our businesses. Absolutely. You you, you just prompted a, a question that I get asked a lot, and I'd like to hear your view on it. But first, um, it occurred to me that when you've got forecastable revenue, it gives it gives you the ability to hire with greater confidence, right? Sure. Because you're not, you know what you're going to be making next month and for the for the foreseeable future. Um, so a lot of business owners ask me, how do you know when is the right time to make your next hire? And so do you guys have a formula for that? Is it based on an excess of demand? Therefore you need, you know, to in increase your capacity to deliver. Is it based on, you know, hitting certain profit, you know, metrics? Like what's the, uh, I think, you know, in honesty, markets, all of those things, they're the indicators. You know, what sector is that business trading? Bearing in mind, we're a portfolio of 38 companies in the UK trading in different sectors with different delivery models, contingent perm, contract, executive search across multiple sectors. So the first part for us, and even those businesses, by the way, will trade in, you know, we operate in 60 countries globally. So, you know, the reality is the trading space of that business, it's thinking first and foremost, that particular business that we're partnered with, what's their underlying performance? What's the capacity in the three C's today? What are they looking to achieve in the next three to six months? And who is the person they've got that's coming to join them? And what, they, what do they bring to that business? Those indicators factually arrive at a decision, not an opinion. And I think that's the best way of going about it. Touch wood, our facts tends to work you know, pretty well, you know, given, you know, given the, the scale that you, you, you are only too well aware of that we've achieved in our portfolio over the last few years. Absolutely. Uh, but could you just give a little more detail around that, Greg? So, you know, <clears throat> to arrive at that decision, yes, make the hire. Yep. Um, and I appreciate your like different business models, different 
sectors uh, and, yep. and so on. But what are the rules of thumb that you live in and, and die by it, it, when you're deciding when we need to expand you know, each of the portfolio companies? So the, the rules of thumb, uh, you know, I mean, again, as, as a scaling business, uh, Mark, it, it, you know, have we got, so the first part is, have we got capacity in the existing team? Let me give me some scenarios to kind of, to, to build out the answer. So what are we, what's our fulfillment rate in our existing job flow? You know, what's the opportunity to exist in the clients, how the business is performing? And is the person that's been identified going to sit within there and therefore complement and enhance the performance of the existing team. Yeah. Have we identified within the client base or through that client in another region or another skill set or another, you know, part of the customer's organization that we're going to deploy someone in to recruit against the skills they look for in that area? Can we, you know, secure that business and can we got somebody that's going to come in and, and land into there? Does the individual that we've identified bring with them an opportunity to develop a new sector or develop a part of that sector that we already have, that they're successful in that particular space? Mm. Or have we carefully researched and identified a new territory, a new skill set, a new client base that we want to target, and this individual has the skill set to come in and do that? Bearing in mind, we are only here to deliver scale, but scale through successfully scaling, not just through putting bums on seats. You know, headcount is vanity. This is about making the right decision through the three C's. Have we got the candidates? Have we got the clients? Have we got the consultants to drive through? So I think they're the scenarios that you mm. arrive at. The indicators that you use depends on the business. We've obviously got different metrics that we use and we look at our board packs and we look at the, the underlying performance of the business in the areas I've, I've just talked about. But fundamentally, they're the scenarios that we would make the decisions upon in order to to agree that that person should be hired that business, um, or you know that uh, the perhaps not. Fantastic, thank you, sir. And so, what does twenty twenty three hold for recruitment entrepreneur? What are you guys excited about? So, listen, I mean, it's it's a super <laughs> exciting uh, time this year. As you know, we've grown significantly. Uh, at an international perspective, um, you know, Ari is now operating in Canada, in the US, in Germany, and, you know, Singapore and Australia, Dubai, I could go on, right? So we're now truly, you know, the largest uh, number one investor in uh, recruitment in, you know, on a global basis. And I think, you know, that's a very exciting time. More sobering for me is the UK. Um, you know, we have, we've got a few exits planned. Um, we've got a few uh, interesting conversations at the moment, businesses that we have in our portfolio that, that may well progress as we move throughout this year. So we'll still continue to deliver on the commitment to exit the businesses that we have within our portfolio. We have to grow the existing portfolio, back to your question, in terms of optimizing performance of the individuals, realizing the opportunity in their client base, hiring new people, etc. And we'll continue to invest in businesses. So it's a, a, another exciting year ahead of us, uh, Mark. I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting one for all the economic questions we've asked, but we will navigate that as, as we've discussed in our conversation. Awesome. Greg, uh, I'm excited about this year. And, uh, you know, even though there's a lot of uncertainty, we're, we're uh, optimistic. We feel great about the direction our business is going and um, looking forward to continuing to, uh, you know, to see the success of Recruitment Entrepreneur. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's been a pleasure. I hope that will be of value to some of your listeners. And, Most definitely. Uh, if anybody wants any information or would like to know more, please feel free to reach out. My contact details are on LinkedIn or drop me a line on LinkedIn, but be more than happy to, uh, to have a chat with any of your listeners. Greg, thank you so much. Have an awesome day. Speak again soon. You too. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.